Crystal just letting you know that this episode was recorded in two parts. This is the second part of that episode. So if you haven't, you might want to go back and check out the writing on the wall part one. Otherwise, you will be picking up this conversation right in the middle of it. So consider this your only warning to exit now if you haven't checked out that first part of the episode. Okay, so it's a few days later, it says, and uh, the school could talk a little else, but we're moving into Filch, who is pacing the spot where uh, Mrs. Norris had been attacked. But the detail that I found interesting was that he was scrubbing the wall with Mrs. Scour's all-purpose magical mess remover, and it says it was to no effect. And I wondered, you know, earlier we talked about this was some sort of paint. Mm -hmm. We clarified that point. And I, I wondered then if the reason that this isn't working for him is because it's a magical mess remover. And Filch is not magical. Like, he's continuously oh, scrubbing sad. on it. And so it just, you know, as much as we talked about Filch in the last chapter, being a squib and having no magic and how sort of inhumane and inju- unjust it was that nobody came along behind him and just magicked these words off the walls. And now he's scrubbing with this magic mess remover, but I wonder, does it just not work for him? Mm. That feels really, really sad. It it doesn't. I I don't know. I say no. (laughs) I I, I feel like he's used this before. He's had good results with it. It's just, this is something different. This is a type of magic that's beyond children. You know, I mean, first year, second years, third years, you know, scribbling on the wall and graffiti. This is something else. And that's why I can't get it off. But it's just paint, right? We I don't... mean, I, clearly not. Yeah, it's... I guess not. I I don't know what Riddle through Ginny would have done to the paint to make it unremovable. Oh, maybe there's a spell on it that's yeah. keeping yeah. it on the wall. Yeah, it's, it's, okay, he's I enchanted see. it in some way. Yeah, there's there's some. This is a message that he doesn't want to be erased. Okay. Otherwise, Dumbledore or McGonagall or right. somebody, somebody who, would have come by. who's got a sense of order and decorum for the castle. Right. And who would also not want to keep the students yeah. in Afraid. a state of terror exactly. would have <laughs> magicked it away. Right. Yeah. That that makes more sense to me that maybe Filch is going back to it thinking, I can get it off. Like yeah. just because it's reminding him of Mrs. Norris's attack. Mm-hmm. Even though maybe someone like McGonagall or Dumbledore has tried to get it off right. already. It is an undignified sort of thing though, that it's his trauma and also his responsibility to deal with the cleanup afterward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if it's an impossible sort of cleanup because it's enchanted in some way. Uh, he's, he's, he's pouring out all of his effort and anger to no avail um, in a really... It's it's a sad scene. It is. Like if you it's one of those where if you stop and think about it, yep. rather than moving on to the next detail, it really is a poignant uh, episode. Well, he's also chosen to dwell in this space, you know, like it doesn't seem that he's been ordered to watch the spot. But he's just pacing back and mm-hmm. forth as though he's hoping the attacker's going to come back. He's spending all his time scrubbing the message. He's, like, jumping out <laughs> at students that are just walking in the corridor. And he's just so fixated on this spot and this event, he can't move past it. 
I I love the detail that we get that Jenny Weasley seemed very disturbed by Mrs. Norris's fate. According to Ron, she was a great cat lover. Yeah, that's Yet why. again, it's like <clears throat> golden nugget of plot development mm-hmm. and then authorial sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, she was a cat lover. Okay, well, it's a short, it's a two-sentence paragraph. At this point, we don't really know Jenny. We don't care about her. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting detail. Ron says she's a cat lover. Maybe it's just here for a kind of humorous effect or something like that and we move on and it's out of mind but jenny appears several times over the next few pages uh with her response to these events being broadcast for us and uh yeah I'll, i'll just say that my first time ever through the books I was not picking up no. what no. was being put down right here. No. Yeah, and as an adult rereading it for the umpteenth time, I found myself going, how did I not catch up? How did I not catch on to this? Because she's mentioned so many times in conjunction with the attacks mm-hmm. in slight ways. It felt so obvious to me. Yeah. Which is hindsight, I know. Sure, yeah. I know, it's, and, but it's tough to even, like, put yourself in that... Like, if I was reading it for the first time as... The person I am right now, would I get it? Right. (laughs) Or would I be so caught up in the developing plot that I'm doing what Rowling is expecting me to do and I'm passing over the details? Well, that's one thing I love to do because I have converted many of an adult friend to Harry Potter fans. And I always ask them after each book, like, did you suspect Jenny? And almost exclusively, the answer is no. Yeah. So for me, even though they're different books... Rowling's mystery series, yeah. Cormoran Strike, I have yet to correctly guess what in the world is going on in any of those books. Right. So, <laughs> I, granted, they're like highly complicated adult-level mystery novels, um, but the clues are always there. Right. If you if you have eyes to see. Um, uh, clearly, though, I don't have eyes to see right. yet <laughs> when it comes to those. I love this line that Ron has. Stuff like this doesn't often happen at Hogwarts. <laughs> Ron, you've been here two years, and both years, something like this yeah, has something happened. something like this happened. And yeah. it's just going to keep picking up the more Harry's around. But he's such a sweet big brother. He's like, it's okay. It's a nice yeah. place. You'll love it. I love that in some way. We see every single one of the Weasley brothers comforting Jenny. Not just Ron, even Percy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Percy. But we're told that Jenny blanches. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But we aren't sure what she blanches at. We're we're led to believe that it's I just hope he's got time to petrify Filch before he's expelled. And so we 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 think, oh, she's blanching at Ron would say she, that he wants Filch petrified. But before that he says Ron assured her They'll catch the maniac who did it and have him out of here in no time. And then his next sentence assumes the expulsion of the individual. Right. And, again, the evidence is there to say, what is Jenny blanching at? What's what's causing her to go pale in the face as she comes to a realization about the situation that she's in? Um, that she's at least got some grasp on at this point. She obviously yeah. doesn't know exactly what's going on, but she's writing in the diary, and she has, at this point, woken right. up with paint 
all over, all over her. herself. Right. She knows that she is losing herself yes. for periods of time. And she's woken up with evidence that she's the one who did this. Right. Also, I just do want to point out that somehow she was able to get the paint off of her, but they can't get it off the wall. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she ditched those robes somewhere. Yeah, maybe. How did she get it all down her robes, but not on her skin? Yeah, I was thinking more of her hands. I mean, well, it would literally, I have to she'd think, be caught though, with maybe, maybe it's not know? the paint itself. Hey, maybe it was just enchanted on the wall. Well, I have to think yeah, that maybe. the magic is more discriminating than... Anybody who touches the paint, never getting it off. <laughs> like, that's the lazy spell you right there. You can literally catch the culprit red-handed. Yeah. That's what Matt just said. Oh, did you? I'm sorry, Matt. It's you, okay. You get your it's okay. We could have caught him red-handed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you, we can move on, I think, yes. to uh, the library where they are writing a three-foot-long composition, or at least Ron is trying to... Uh, right, really quickly, right before the history of magic homework, his three-foot-long composition of the medieval assembly of European wizards. And this brings up an interesting question, mm-hmm. which is, what measurement of feet are they using, and why are they using feet? I mean, at this point in time, the they've been in the metric system for a long time, Rowling clearly chose this as sort of an anachronism, I think, uh, you know, assuming an older version. Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of different feet have been used over history. Um, and I just, it, it makes one think, you know, if, if the Wizarding World already has like a totally different set of standards for its, its money, mm-hmm. um, why wouldn't it have a whole different set of standards for, you know, weights and measures? And sort of its own system for understanding these things, because everything that it does is so different, you know. Yeah. Um, and yet they've used the same word, and I just want to know: is it is it the same feet? Is it well, different they also feet? use inches as well? So, right. Okay. But inches. sometimes in the American versions yes. of books, they Americanize British. Oh no! That's what I was just so okay, at. okay. Because, so this one that I've got yeah. is the Britishisms. Because when you said maniac, mine says nutter. Oh. And I've had another moment where they called um, Moaning Myrtle pimply in the American version, and this one said spotty. Oh. So, and mine says foot and inches. Interesting. Yes. I'm I'm reading the uh, illustrated version for our listeners, because the... Illustrations are fantastic. They are. They're really, really good. I'm looking at it right now. And we've got Ginny holding her books in a kind of trance. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, do yeah. so. I guess we don't know. Do British people use feet and inches with any sort of regularity? I'll Google it. Well, there's actually my understanding is that this, and this may be old news. But my understanding is that post Brexit, mm. one of the uh, commitments of the Conservative Party that is currently in leadership in the United Kingdom's parliament uh, is to reintroduce imperial standards for um, as, as a standard alongside metric. That is to say, my understanding is right now, everything has to be in metric. And then if you choose, a business can also sort of put a, 
you know, the imperial units alongside it, kind of like how we have in the United States as a standard you know, of imperial, but a lot of places will still tell you how many milliliters or how many, you know, grams something weighs. Um, but there, my understanding is that they're going to try to make it standard as having both so that they're going to reintroduce everybody always has to have imperial on everything yeah crystal any luck on um, your basically what alex just said was exactly what wikipedia says that there's a healthy mix of both but particularly did you write that alex they stick to the imperial system with the body often mm-hmm. with the body that's what it says i know this isn't referring to the body but that's interesting you know, because i've heard people give measurements in centimeters like yep. somebody is such and such centimeters tall and i'm literally thinking yeah. that is of no help to me if we well, have what, any what's British even less listeners help? it would be very helpful if they would write in yeah. please somebody us enlighten us I, I do remember talking to an older british couple a while back when i was traveling in italy that mentioned that discussed their weight and their weight loss in stone right mm-hmm. As opposed to in Which is pounds. something that Rolling does with in the corner corner strike. strike. Right. And, yeah. I, and he's always like, I'm six stone. And I'm like, yeah. dude. I Google it every time. Like, what does that yeah. mean? I mean, and honestly, if a grown man is six of any unit of measure in terms of weight, that's such a large <laughs> unit. Like, It's about the size of a stone. Like what? A... <laughs> There's lots of sizes of stones, Alex. <laughs> okay, we How gotta much is a stone? Is it like... I think it's 40 20 pounds? pounds? No, I think it's like... Um, I thought it was 20. 20 something. I thought something. it was 20, yeah. Hold on, let me look it up. Oh, well then, Cormoran strikes more than 6 stone. He's not 120 pounds. Yeah, he's no, I, I was thinking he was more than 6. Like St- uh, Oh, no. All right. A stone, an English imperial unit of mass, is equal to 14 pounds, or oh. 6.35 kilograms. Well, definitely more than okay. that. Okay. Okay, I'm moving on from you. Yeah. So, um, they're writing their compositions on parchment paper, which is, I think, a really interesting sort of wizardy sort of, of, of thing to add in, because it's a parchment roll. Right. And then they're unrolling, and they're having to measure how much they've written. But but you get so much variability here, depending mm-hmm. on your handwriting size. So Ron says, Hermione's done four feet, seven inches, and her writing's tiny. So you know there's boys just writing, like, mm-hmm. huge, you know... Like oh, yeah. And girls can do that, too. I mean, back okay. in high school, using 18 <laughs> font. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 18 font double space. Double oh, yeah, space. I got that two-page two paper. Yeah. And I'm sure that teachers are counting off for that. But anyway, it's, it's just a really interesting... Like, they're actually measuring with a tape measure to see if they've got enough... And I think this is the first time in the books that we see that. I don't remember yes. it in the first one. I think it's the first. Now, I have no concept of parchment. I've never used it before. If there's any listeners out there that can help describe what it's like to actually use this, because I assume it's a pretty rare thing to find, like untanned animal mm-hmm. skin to write on these days. Um, but it would be interesting to know if this is like more comfortable or less than writing on paper or like you know the experience of typing. Um, well, it raises questions about the cost of written communication. If par- um, parchment is way more expensive and rare than than paper, like you're because saying. you need to use skin, right? Well, and, and I'm thinking about like in ancient writing was was such a it was such a commodity because parchment itself was so expensive and had to be prized. And so the ability to write on parchment would have been an intense privilege that would have been 
really, really treasured. Um, and, and so it, it raises the question of when she talks about parchment, is she talking about parchment in the strict sense of the word as we're using it here? Or does she just mean rolled up, Fancy old looking rolled up paper? paper yeah. But it would make sense to me, you know, it would fit with the other anachronisms, right? If the idea is that a lot of these wizarding traditions started in the medieval period, pre-modern paper, and because they do not have to worry about the economic concerns, because they can just magically increase whatever they've got, they can allow the standards not to change despite those economic pressures. So while the rest of the world turns to paper, they just keep magicifying more parchment for themselves. The rest of the world turns to the internet, they still let owls fly, you know. Um, well, and I guess uh, we're told that the mechanics of magic is that as long as you have something, you can multiply it. That's true. So I guess that would put Dunder Mifflin Parchment Company out of business <laughs> yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be regulatory rules about that, because otherwise, why are you going to a vendor or a store for anything if you've got one of it? You could just Magic be making more of it. So mm-hmm. I, it's got to be, there's got to be I think we're going to have to put Alex on a deep dive into the economics of magical multiplication. We'll never get him back. He's, he's <laughs> lost. We've lost him. Yeah, that's it. The look in his eyes. <laughs> My theory is it has to be about skill. They're just, it, you know, we know that certain kinds of magic people are really good at. Others are not great. We learned from this the quick spell course that there's a lot of people that are magical that are just really bad at magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so perhaps this uh, the magic magically increasing of various substances is, is something that really only certain magicians are well well suited for oh, and so can do this well. yeah and so they're kind of like the blue collar workers of the magic field they're you know they're the ones out there just like magic vine more parchment day after day sort of hammering away in the factory while others are doing other things okay so um we get this tidbit uh ron is talking harry is talking to ron about this run-in that he just had with justin finch Lashley right before we get to the library justin's coming down um uh, he went upstairs to meet Ron in the library and saw Justin Finch Fletchley um, coming towards him. Harry had just opened his mouth to say hello. Justin caught sight of him, turned abruptly, and sped off in the opposite direction. So this is the first sort of run-in that Harry has with a student that seems to be afraid of him or wary of him in some something, way. Something is amiss. Something is amiss. Yeah. Yes. And he says, why would he do that? And Ron's like, I don't know why you care, because he was kind of an idiot. Um... But uh, it, it comes out that, you know, well, he probably believes that you're the heir of Slytherin. Well, and uh, I, but that's later. Well, I, I just, well, yeah. I, I just thought this was kind of funny. You know, he thought he was a bit of a, or I thought he was a bit of an idiot. And he's, he said, or said Ron, scribbling away, making his writing as large as, large as, possible. as possible. You know, I, so I just thought that was kind of funny or a little ironic. But we find that Hermione is reading more than usual. Um, you know, it, it says I, that. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I just I found this whole scene with Hermione completely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Hermione is not someone who forgets information, and like the whole basis of her character is that she's just like a human encyclopedia. So that she forgot something that would be actually interesting uh-huh. to learn in Huge. class. 
Yeah, to hear like that there was a magic secret chamber. Probably, I'm thinking if this is something actually taught that is in the book Hogwarts of History, which we know is a required textbook, people students would be all over that trying right. to find it. And not a, she says, so we are ignorant of it because all of the books have been checked out from the library. As if the students who have figured out what's going on haven't been talking about it, yeah. or Hermione couldn't go and ask someone who had checked out the book before right. her. Yeah, I. so I, sometimes we get into places where the plot develops in ways that are tough to believe, so that information is withheld from us until Rowling can reveal it in a more dramatic fashion, which happens yeah. in Professor Ben's classroom. But I'm with you. I thought, this just doesn't strike me as the way that information actually spreads in the corridors of a school. Especially if all anybody can talk about right. is the attack and the chamber and even potentially Harry being the heir. Mm -hmm. And we've talked before about how small this school probably is, so oh, yes. surely she could just ask another Gryffindor mm -hmm. in the common room. Well, moving along, we get to the History of Magic course... Yes. And it's actually taught by Professor Benz, who is the only ghost professor, mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting. They're still letting ghosts teach. So Cheaper. A lot of, a lot of ghosts yeah. in this book. Wouldn't do that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, <laughs> I looked up, I looked up Professor Benz because I was very curious about him as a person, and there just is so little about his life before he dies. Um, which is sad. We know more about his death than his life. Um, it, it really does seem, you know, that he just kind of stood up out of his armchair and left his body behind and went back to teaching. He's just such a boring character that JK didn't write him much of a backstory. Um, so we know though that he did teach Harry's parents. So he was around in the seventies, already dead and a ghost at that time. What we don't know is whether he was teaching at Hogwarts when the chamber was opened the first time in the 40s. We don't know that. We don't know that. But, but Trevor doesn't not, care. It ought not to matter. <laughs> the man is a magical historian. The Chamber of Secrets was previously opened at some point, mm -hmm. at very least a couple of decades before he showed up to be a... a... No, because at that point, he's a dead professor. I know. Yeah, so, well, I mean, what other universities was he teaching at before coming to Hogwarts? He is a because magical historian. He knows... There's no he other schools here. There's no conceivable way you know, that he doesn't know <laughs> that the Chamber of Secrets was already open. So it's a sort of thou dost protest too much sort yeah. of scenario. And he seems to be honest about it, that... That he's saying this is a myth, this is a legend, it's not fact, it's not the domain of the historian. Mm -hmm. But we're going to learn later that the chamber was open likely when he was a professor Probably. at Hogwarts and a student and perished. And a student died. Yeah. Yeah. And it was still a big mystery. Obviously, they didn't solve it at the time. They didn't really know who opened it. They expelled somebody that they thought opened it. But they and knew they that the Chamber the of Secrets had been opened. Right. Did, well, did they think that it had been opened? Or, like, this was, you know, some students that were kind of playing a prank that maybe got out of hand? Of Like, 
you know, sensationalized it. Maybe, no, I'm pretty sure they thought. I think that's what Vince is submitting is that it was like, you know, students messing around. But a girl died. <laughs> or no, he no. just doesn't want to cause hysteria in case it's a prank now. Yeah. Like he may not like want to. I may be wrong, but when we so get much. Hagrid's backstory with Tom Riddle revealed, there is no suggestion to me that there's doubt that the Chamber of Secrets has been right. opened. Right. The agree. only doubt is who is the one who opened it. Exactly yeah. right. Right. Yeah. I just think we should not underestimate how much an academic can be focused in on a very narrow, particular set of questions and issues and just really be <clears throat> totally blind to anything else. You need to stop personally attacking Trevor right now. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just <laughs> saying. Very <laughs> I'm saying that, like, you know, some folks really stick to their lane. That's what they do. And so... I don't think it's good practice. I don't think it's universal practice. I just think sometimes... But this is his lane. Yeah. It's <laughs> magical <laughs> history. But it's recent. Yeah. It's too recent. It's, to it's done history if it's happening We're right now. We're talking about 1289 right. in this class. This is too recent. This is like still in the 1900s. <laughs> Boring. Exactly right. Mm. It's too soon to develop, it's too the, soon to the develop a theory about it. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we hear about stuff all the time that seems true until it isn't. And it's one of the many difficult things that historians have to deal with is sorting through all the mess that is the documentation of history to figure out what actually happened whenever, you know. But it takes perspective to get there. And I think, especially after you're dead, you know, you're already inclined to a perspective that's looking backward not really focusing on what's happening right now i think that professor bins too i mean we don't get a lot of information about him obviously but what we do get about him is how out of touch he is with everything that isn't like the lecture he's speaking about Mm -hmm. that day um and i i could be wrong about this but i think in book five when hedwig arrives hurt in his classroom I think Professor Benz doesn't remember or know Harry's name. Is that right? And if he doesn't know Harry Potter's name, yeah, he's... he doesn't know that the Chamber well, of Secrets has been opened. It's funny in this chapter. He doesn't yeah, he doesn't know, know anybody's name. name. And it's hilarious. Right. And that's, yeah. Well, I think it's annoying, but sure. Well, I it's, think it's hilarious. Yeah, it's, I think O'Flaherty is pretty funny. At, at, the, at the very least, it's interesting that he doesn't know his students' names, yeah. but I don't think Harry speaks in this chapter. I can't remember, but I think mm-hmm. in book five... He asks to be excused because Hedwig has been hurt. And I'm pretty sure at that point, Benz doesn't even know Harry Potter's name. And if he's been oblivious that a year five student named Harry Potter who defeated Voldemort when he was a baby is in oh, his but class. But also multiple times since then. Right. Well, that's, <laughs> that's true. Yes. Good point. He's not up um, with the current events. He does not have any clue what's he's going on. I will say that the, the rumor that ancient and shriveled, many people said... He hadn't noticed he was dead. If he's dead, we've already established he can't eat. And I can just imagine as an academic, he's like, huh, got a full day of reading and writing in. <laughs> Didn't even get hungry once. This is fantastic. <laughs> Didn't even have to stop for lunch. Man. <laughs> he just does this, you know, 
three, day 3,345. Still not hungry. Still not hungry. I'm being so protected. I'm going to be able to submit so many papers this quarter. I was curious about him um, shuffling his notes, and I've got to assume it was ghost paper. Mm. Oh, yeah. We have questions of corporeality I know. emerging again. Because of the envelope we had before. Can I ghost paper be... be submitted to a journal in... So here's the people? other thing. Students are writing essays for him. Can he manipulate... Physical paper? Oh boy. So it's, it's not a poltergeist. It's non canonical. But in Ghost featuring Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. He learns how to manipulate corporeal objects when he is yelled at by another ghost in the subway. Interesting. Wow. And eventually you get the Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze pottery. Famous Intuition. scene where, like, there's clearly, like, physical sensation that's happening. Well, I'm going to go to bed <laughs> dreaming about that horrible ending scene in that awful movie now. Oh, thank you, Trevor, for that. All right, let's get back to Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so, assuming so Ben's ben. also has the ability to... Influence objects corporeally. He didn't notice he was dead, but did work real hard on being able to touch the exam papers so that he could keep doing his job. Um, well, let's move on to... Well, we'll move on. How about we move on to... He, to he, well, he starts giving yeah, the history of Hogwarts. Telling us the legend. Know, yeah. The legend or history of, of the, the founders. Hogwarts, of the founders. And Huge. That's, that's important. This is very important information. So we learn about the four house founders, Godric Gryffindor, Helga Hufflepuff, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Salazar Slytherin. And we learn about the rift um, between Slytherin and the others because of Slytherin wishing to be more selective about the students admitted to Hogwarts. And so this book is really where we start to get all of this kind of pure blood, racially charged um, language and, and background and um, Ron even says later, I didn't realize it was Slytherin that started all that nonsense. And I don't know if that's the case. I'm sure there were other wizards that were kind of in that camp already. It seems like he wouldn't have been like the first person to be like. Yeah, yeah he's definitely not the first person good. to be racist. Right. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, that was at least at that time sort of a novel idea. And Slytherin obviously took it to an extreme by creating the chamber, which Ben says is a fanciful legend. Nobody really knows. No one's been able to find it. But the kids raise really good questions about um, the chamber. I think that was my favorite part about it. Um, they said, but so Seamus says, but sir, if the chamber can only be opened by Slytherin's true heir, no one else would be able to find it, right? And oh, nonsense. And then, but um, Parvati says, but Professor, you probably have to use dark magic to open it. But Ben says something kind of profound here. Just because a wizard doesn't use dark magic doesn't mean he can't. Um, which we're going to see happen a lot um, with some of our more noble characters. Um, when they feel that they're backed into a corner or that there is no way to fight fire except with fire, resorting to dark magic. I wondered if anybody else had thoughts on that. 
Yeah. Um, I'll say before we even get there, one of the things that I I loved about this section was the brief note that after a while there was a serious argument on the subject between Slytherin and Gryffindor, and Slytherin left the school. Mm-hmm. Um, in myth, or um, we might we might call it meta narrative, so stories that carry cosmic significance. Often, the end is in the beginning. And the end of the Harry Potter canon is in the beginning. So, if, if you think, what is the Garden of Eden story of Harry Potter? It's the founding of Hogwarts. And what's the fall? It's Slytherin's racial wizarding hierarchy, an argument between a Gryffindor and a Slytherin, and then the Slytherin being cast away. And that's exactly how the canon is going to end. You've got not an heir of Gryffindor, but a Gryffindor. A true Gryffindor. Who, who receives the sword mm-hmm. of Godric Gryffindor. He's He is, in that sense, the heir uh, of Gryffindor. And the heir of Slytherin. And the heir of Slytherin wants to narrow who receives sort of magical validity. Mm-hmm. Not least within the bounds of Hogwarts, but within the wizarding world uh, at large. And there is... A conflict, and the heir of Slytherin is cast away. Um, and so it strikes me that uh, Rowling has a sense of the way that these sort of world-shaping stories work. And the end is already in the beginning. Mm. And it's it's interesting because, uh, it, I mean, the biblical narrative is like that. And so many other narratives of the cosmos are like that as well that the seeds of how it must end are already present in the very first moments that's profound Mm -hmm. that's what i'm here for yeah Mm -hmm. we academics you know we know how to stay in our lane (laughs) (laughs) i always think it's interesting and this is just kind of piggybacking on that a little bit that jk rowling has been quoted as saying that she never meant for there to be a lot of like biblical themes in the Harry Potter series, but there are tons. Mm-hmm. That could be its own episode. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. 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 because her her biography has all sorts of exposure to narratives of the Bible and the Christian Church at large. Um, and I've heard a sort of conflicting statements. And you wonder, are they apocryphal? Are they, to what extent are they valid? Um, it, frankly, it might be worth at some point us taking a dive into the biography of J.K. Rowling and what she said about what she intended. Because mm-hmm. um, there's, there's a lot that, whether intentional or not, lines up in really interesting ways. Yeah. All right. I wondered um, what you all thought about. Uh, obviously, Professor Benz uh, was not used in the films, um, and especially this scene is McGonagall in the films. And I wondered what you guys thought about uh, the choice to use her specifically, and how it kind of changes the narrative we get of the chamber. 
as far as keeping with the same thing theme as Professor Ben's here, McGonagall was probably the right choice for the professor to deliver this to the students because she also has a very no nonsense. Mm-hmm. This is this is what I can tell you that's fact, and that's as far as I'm going to go. But I, I also think so as I as I dwell on it, who is trustworthy? Mm. Besides Dumbledore, it's it's Minerva McGonagall, mm-hmm. like especially from Harry's perspective. Who does he know? Yes, she's no nonsense. She'll give him the facts, but he also knows that her commitments are in the right place. And she is going to do what is right by him, even if it hurts him sometimes. Um, and so I, I think that, yeah, that that's probably the best mouth. It'd be a very different sensation and interpretation as a viewer if it was Snape mm-hmm. delivering it. Or Lockhart. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd wonder, you know, what... What can I believe? Right, not a word. And the only other person that we really inherently trust is Hagrid, and he can't tell us because he opened the chamber. Supposedly. Supposedly, yeah. So he can't tell us for a couple of reasons. One, because he doesn't actually know the truth. Two, because the laws of plot development mean that he can't divulge his place in the plot Mm. until 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 the right moment. Yeah. And it it could potentially cast doubt on him. And break trust. Yeah. If he didn't have a clear story of what actually happened, right? And he shared it. So, which sort of happens, they suspect him later on, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we, um, we get out of class, and now the, the trio are talking about what they've learned. Um, and Ron is, is talking about um, Salazar Slytherin and all of this. And he says, honestly, if the sorting hat had tried to put me in Slytherin, mm-hmm. I'd have got the train mm-hmm. straight back home. And it comes out that Harry never told his friends that the hat thought about putting him in Slytherin until he asked it to put it in to mm. put him in Gryffindor. And here's another grain of that doubt. Could I be the heir? You know, was was I meant to be in Slytherin? What is it about me that's flawed? Um, because to him, you know, at this point being in Slytherin is a flaw. It's been, let's be honest, uh-huh. like three years. Since we did the Sorting Hat episode with Harry. Mm. I don't remember what we said. Sorry. That's okay. But it seems to me that the language the Sorting Hat uses Mm. is really interesting. Mm -hmm. You could be great, you know. It's all here in your head. And Slytherin would help you. And I'm like, what's what's in his head? His scar. His scar's in his head. Mm. And the scar is like that connecting point to to Voldemort, the heir of Slytherin. And I wonder if we're intended to, at least in hindsight, think uh, that the, the sorting hat is detecting that literally there is Slytherin in your head. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a ver- in a very sort of physical yeah. way. Because that's, that's what is in Harry. Yeah. Well, we're also, you know, coming right off of the heels of his encounter with Ollivander. Ollivander says, after all, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible, but great. And the Sorting Hat's using that same word, great. And I think Harry may be primed to hear that word and say, mm-hmm. I don't want to be great that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think this scene right here is 
showing Harry, he's starting to doubt himself and maybe even believe a little bit that, am I the heir of Slytherin? I, I don't I mean, I don't think I am. I mean, I, I don't know. But he's at least doubting himself, saying, like, I should have been in Slytherin. The Sorting Hat told me so. And it was only because I asked him not to that he didn't put me in there. But are we really intended to follow him there? Because in order for that to be a believable line of argument, we would have to think that there was an opportunity for Harry to do all of the things that transpired at the end of last chapter, right? Mm -hmm. Would we not have to believe that? If, if Harry is in fact the heir of Slytherin, he would have had to be the one who committed those acts yeah. of mm -hmm. right. at least setting up the sure. petrification of Mr. Which Ms. he knows North. he didn't do. But, well, but we also, we haven't been given a sort of um, blackout time, yeah. which is a common narrative technique to cast doubt on a character's internal narration yeah. and their whereabouts. We haven't been given that. And so I almost think that as Harry doubts himself, we as readers are intended to not yeah. doubt him. It couldn't have been mm -hmm. you, Harry. We were with you. It's, it's almost like the reverse of dramatic irony. Mm -hmm. um, well, or, no, maybe, where we know that it it couldn't have been what Harry is thinking. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so we see Colin Creevy, and he tries to talk to Harry. He says, "Harry, Harry, a boy in my class has been saying you're," and then he gets swept up in a tide of people, and he doesn't get to finish his thought. Um, so now we've run into Justin and Colin, both either, you know, Justin is afraid of Harry and Colin is trying to maybe warn him or ask him probably straight out, are you the heir of Slytherin? <laughs> because people are saying you are. Um, and, and so, you know, this is, this is what people are talking about. And Ron is just disgusted. He says, people here, they'll believe anything. Um, it's interesting though, that we get these little vignettes with the characters, mm -hmm. Justin Finch Fletchley yep. and Colin Creevy, they've both been introduced previously. Mm -hmm. They're both going to emerge again. Yeah. Um, and so Rowling is keeping these particular characters in front of our face. Mm -hmm. She doesn't play up the Muggleborn angle of both of them the way that she did. She, well, she didn't play it up. She mentioned she it. She mentioned it. Mm -hmm. But by by this point, I mean, we're it's two weeks since we recorded our last episode in real time, mm -hmm. and I was sitting here thinking if I if we hadn't had the discussion about their Muggleborn status two weeks ago, would I have remembered that? Yeah. Mm. If I was reading it in this timeline, it's like no, I don't think I would have. That wouldn't have been a detail. Yeah. That... <clears throat> the fringe characters. No. And... Yeah. yeah, they they just they they pop in, they pop out. Uh, it's kind of random feeling, but um, it's interesting that both of them seem to have a sense. One of them more explicitly than the other that Harry is the heir of Slytherin, and and both of them are going to, in some sense, meet the heir. Right. You know, um, before the end of it. So they've arrived at the corridor where the um, where the attack happened, and they go full Scooby Gang and start looking for clues. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I love. Harry's like, can't hurt to have a poke around, and off we go. Wouldn't 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 be a bad thing for us to get caught here again. So let's just look around. 
Um, but the first thing they find is scorch marks. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I made a note of that, and I was wondering, am I missing something? I got nothing. I have nothing. I now, granted, I have not looked up anything, so I'm depending on memory. Yes. But I'm sitting here saying, he he shouts, scorch marks, scorch marks here, here and here. here, and I'm sitting here like, from what? What is that about? Burke. So what narratively, it feels like. It's the introduction of a piece of evidence whose significance will be illuminated five chapters from now. And I got nothing. And I have no idea what this is about. Nothing. Yeah, I have nothing either. What caused the scorch marks? Mm -hmm. What what are they? Are they significant? Maybe not. Because, I mean, then we get then we get the spiders, and that is significant. You know, weird. These spiders are acting weird. They're all... There's like 20 spiders. Um... With, with like a little um, escape silver thread dangling like a rope, climbing out the window. That's weird. They haven't seen spiders act like that. That, and they pick up the water, you know, that was all over yeah. the floor. Like, what was going on with that? Right. That one's a little bit yes. more on the nose. Yes. yes. That one They're is. like, oh, there's water here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a bathroom right there. Okay, <laughs> let's check it out. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the scorch marks. I, just, I, I can't, no, I can't I remember that. Readers, if you, uh, listeners, if you have any idea what the scorch marks are, um, we didn't look into that. So if you even, can figure out what Even it is. the most, like, negligible detail. I have no idea of any connection no. of, the, of the scorch marks to what has transpired on, on this sort of location in the castle. I will say, as they move into Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, mm. we're given the detail. Uh, of course, Ron says to Harry, yeah. you can't go in there. It's a girl's toilet. And um, Hermione says there won't be anyone in there. It's Moaning Myrtle's place. But then we're told that it is the gloomiest, mm-hmm. most depressing bathroom ever. And Crystal, I know you have admitted in a blasphemous way that you do not... Really love love the movies in the way that you love the books. The bathroom in the movies is by no means depressing and gloomy. It's pretty cool. It's an yeah. awesome place. It's it's the place with the the bathtub mm-hmm. in book four, right? No. That yes. Nope. That's the not prefect bathroom. It's not the prefect bathroom. Oh no, that's oh. prefect bathroom. Oh. Is it different? Yeah. Myrtle, yeah. Myrtle, Myrtle, Myrtle goes through the pipes. the pipes. She goes where she wants. She yeah. goes where she wants. No. Okay. You not confused. same. Not same bathroom. Okay. It but... is really cool though. It's still a yeah, cool bathroom. No, still there is. It's there's just not faucets. kept up because in the, it's in the in the movie, there's still the faucets yeah. that open up. Yes. The chamber, yes. And which that's are which are really cool. So I suppose it could pass as gloomy and depressing. But yes, I was again conflating details <laughs> of one scene with another. I, yeah. But, I don't know. I guess I've never really think of bathrooms as super cheerful, cheerful places. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Alex what you, what I hope for is a bathroom to be clean. And, and I was like, women's restrooms are often very pleasant and cheery. Okay. <laughs> that has not been my experience no? with okay. women's restrooms. Well, anyway... <laughs> I, I, you, there seems I to be the, some debate here. The feeling that it's just not kept up because it's haunted, and so, like, you know, filch, I guess, just filch, and not a whole team of people cleaning this massive castle don't go into this one because of Myrtle and her being really obnoxious. So it's not... Also, nice. I mean, 
this is something that, like, we know now, I mean, in hindsight, after reading the books, that Moaning Myrtle was killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was the student that was killed. Yes. How is Dumbledore, who was there... So like not putting these pieces together, it's so like this is th- the biggest plot hole in this. Yeah, book, it's in my like opinion, this. So. This happened. I mean, it seems like the killings or the the petrifications are happening in one spot in the castle. The same spot where a student was killed fifty the, years. The before, same right? spot, and it's like okay, at Dumbledore. We found out from Professor Benz, as well as a whole host of other witches and wizards, have searched for the Chamber of Secrets mm-hmm. and could not find it. Yet, here we are. I mean, it's basically arrows pointing to this spot right here. And, yeah. and the, the, the even bigger thing is that Moaning Myrtle right. is very willing to share how she died exactly. yes. with Harry and Ron. So surely, I mean, she even says, like, oh, she's gleeful to share yes. it. So why would she not have shared it with anybody else who asked? Surely Dumbledore asks. Okay, here's what I well, got. Here's what I got. I did a deep dive on Harry Potter wiki. Olive, not Olive, Olive Hornby, yes. Olive Hornby is the girl that teased her about her glasses the day that she died. Myrtle Warren, Warren was her last name, died in the stall. And then she came back as a ghost to haunt Olive. She was like tied to Olive. So she made a big scene at Olive's brother's wedding. And Olive had her restrained by the Ministry of Magic. And she was like... Confined. confined to Hogwarts. Hmm. So there is like a space um, where she's not at Hogwarts. I feel like the crucial space where we needed her story. We needed her testimony. And so um, that's my only my only like out for this is that she wasn't there. She was busy haunting Olive when they needed her testimony to to you know incriminate riddle because she saw tom she knew it was tom in the bathroom at least and then when she came out she saw big yellow eyes um and by the time i guess she's back at hogwarts they think they've already solved it and even if they asked her armando dippet who's headmaster at that time um favored tom a lot he really liked tom tom was very charismatic at this point and bright um and he didn't want to send Tom away. He wouldn't really believe bad things about him. And, okay. and Hagrid's half giant. And so he had already been expelled. Right. Um, and so I think Armando's just like, I want my hand of this. This is done. Um, so even if they had sought out Myrtle, she didn't have anything more concrete than Tom was in the bathroom when I died. Right. Then, but now, Dumbledore but now, has I been know. the headmaster. So maybe for... Dumbledore, you know, knew more. Because um, he did suspect Tom, even then. Um, but but he Hagrid didn't have enough. would not be the groundskeeper if Dumbledore actually believed yeah. that he opened and I don't think he the ever Chamber did. of Secrets. I don't you know? think he ever did. And I think if he had been in charge, it would have been handled very differently. But also, in, is in, not like, so we person. can ask the question about 50 years past, but also in this scene, right. yes. uh-huh. right. Myrtle yeah. Tells doesn't care about revealing... Her own personal history. Um, and I, I get that we're developing her character as this sort of uh, constantly distracted, moping character who's always finding a new thing to complain about. But there's been an attack, mm-hmm. a petrification right outside her door. Surely she's heard of this. 
She's invited by Hermione to tell her, has anything strange been happening? And it's crickets in terms of like anything constructive that would move the plot forward. So yeah, it's, again, it's one of those things that if you're crafting a narrative with characters that are meaningful later on, you have to create these distractions where the conversation doesn't get where it could. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think in any sort of mystery genre, you get that, where someone's on the cusp of revealing something and there's an interruption, and so the plot goes on for 300 more pages because it wasn't revealed in the moment. Uh, It feels like that here. Um, But yeah, if, if Myrtle is so happy to talk about herself, and particularly her death... Uh, it's just really interesting that we don't get anything revealed here. And I, I, I think that's um, that's virtue of, of her sort of volatile nature that she just is so easy to set off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happens here is that she says she was she wasn't paying attention. Peeves upset me so much. I came in here and tried to kill myself. And then of course I remembered that I'm. And Ron says already dead. And then she starts sobbing and she goes into the toilet. Well, and I mean. Granted, there's, again, there's an authorial level of distraction that from the direction of her muffled sob, she had come to rest somewhere in the U-Bend, mm-hmm. which is a really, frank, it's a funny, it's yeah. funny detail. And yes, Myrtle is written as a volatile enough character that it ends up being believable. Mm-hmm. And yet it's, it's... It's a tough one. Yeah. It feels like they're right there. It's it's you're right. There. You're right there. I mean, yeah. Well, even if you take out Myrtle's testimony, you know, you've at least got the the the, the place. You know, like the like, puddle on the floor. The, the puddle on the floor. There's the bathroom, the bathroom there, bathroom. and it's like you would think that as wise and smart as Dumbledore is, he searched the castle. There's literally writing on the wall that says that the chamber has been opened. The events of what the the 40s are happening again, and it's like okay, this has happened in this area of the castle again. You would think that he would at least look around in that area because it doesn't take or go rock. and go and talk to Myrtle and be like, listen, Myrtle, yeah, this some... is going on again, and you need to be on the lookout yes. because whatever killed you might kill another student. Yeah, and then well, it doesn't even take uh, what Ron, Harry, and Hermione that long to find the little snake on the, the faucet no, and, and it's like okay that, that you know it's right there I, I don't know maybe it's easy because this is all hindsight but yeah. I mean it, yeah I, it's, it's a lot of jumps that you have to make it is it's true because we don't we don't know what type of monster we're looking at at this point we don't know you know we have no idea where the chamber will be located we have none of none of these clues we don't yet know that somebody died the last time it was open we mm-hmm. don't even know that well but dumbledore does but, but dumbledore we, does yes. but what was dumbledore doing in the mid 1940s fighting he, grindelwald he was fighting grindelwald yeah 1945 is his defeat of grindelwald okay and this was 43 and this was happening in 43 and so I just I was looking at the timeline and so it's it's interesting to yeah. start trying to piece together and I hope frankly that the Fantastic Beast movies are going to blow our minds in terms of the timeline of this particular period um, 
But I think Dumbledore could be forgiven for not having first-hand knowledge of what was going on in detail, given his own preoccupation with saving the magical world outside of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. So that's a complicating mm-hmm. factor in it terms is. of it is, you're right. Dumbledore's mm-hmm. responsibility. I do think it's ironic that this chapter is called The Writing on the Wall, since, at least in America, that's a phrase that we use for something that's obvious. Mm -hmm. The writing on the wall is something obvious, and this is something that should be pretty obvious (laughs) to the teachers. I mean, even like McGonagall, she was a teacher at Hogwarts. she was also there. During this yeah. time, and she has no no Grindelwald excuse mm-hmm. for not putting these pieces together. I had never considered that kind of double entendre, but I. It almost feels like that's a it, that. Rowling is writing it on the right. wall for us yeah. that we're supposed to get it right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't it come from the Book of Daniel though, with the writing on the wall? It's right. the prophecy yeah. that uh-huh. you know the the kingdom of Babylon is getting ready to be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of the doom and gloom of the writing on the wall, you know, like the heir of Slytherin is here and there's a, you know, the, I guess the society that has been built up, Hogwarts yeah. that, that was, will no longer be... The ushering in of a new empire. A new empire, a yeah. new but, era. Is but the way that that has gotten appropriated in at least American parlance is mm-hmm. the writings on the wall. So just like there was a prophecy that your empire was going to fall, if the writing's on the wall, it means it's ob- you should have known that this was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a there's a lot going on with that illusion there. It's really interesting. Mm. So as we exit um, the bathroom, we run into Percy with his prefect badge agleam. And he is also aghast at the fact that they were in the girls' bathroom. Um, But that's not why they get in trouble. They get in trouble because Ron kind of struck a nerve. Um, So he's trying to send them back. uh, And because you don't, you care what this looks like. You know, you're in this place. You shouldn't be here. Coming back here while everyone's at dinner. Why shouldn't we be here? Says Ron. And, um... Percy mentions that he was trying to comfort Jenny about it. He, you know, um, I, I know that you didn't hurt the cat, but she still seems to think you're going to be expelled. Never seen her so upset, crying her eyes out. You might think of her. All the first years are thoroughly overexcited by this business. And Ron says, you don't care about Jenny. You're just worried about that I'm going to mess up your chances of being head boy. And then Percy takes five points from Gryffindor, his own house. And um, he says, no more detective work in, in italics, detective work, or I'll write to mum. <laughs> well, it kind of does touch on what we will see from Percy later, and that uh, he is ambitious, and he's, he's wanting to rise that, you know, climb the ladder, uh, I guess you could say. Um, and even though... There probably is some consideration for Jenny in this. I mean, I'd say Ron knows his brother and is mm-hmm. saying, you know, you are a high achiever and, mm-hmm. like, you're thinking about yourself it's here, really. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. He says, she still seems to think you're going to be expelled. We're told that Percy is 
interpreting yeah. Jenny's emotional outbursts. Um, and we've got evidence here that Jenny's upset. We don't know what it is. All of our um, insight into Jenny's emotional state right now is speculative. Yeah. It's third party. It's people looking at Jenny and interpreting her from the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's interesting that we are led to believe that Jenny's responses mean something. And yet Rowling has written it in such a way that it doesn't have to mean that at all. Well, we can get to the final bit of this chapter, this long chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're trying to figure out in the Gryffindor common room, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, who could the heir of Slytherin be? They're not sure. And, of course, they think, well, Ron pipes up and says, of course it's Malfoy. I mean, everyone thinks it's got to be Malfoy. He's, you know, calling for the mudbloods, the death of the mudbloods, and all kinds of stuff. It's got to be. And so they are going to have to come up with a plan to figure out if it really is Malfoy. And this is when we first... Uh, get introduced to Polyjuice Potion, mm -hmm. which will be something that is used throughout, really, the rest of the canon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It becomes a really great instrument mm -hmm. in the development of, of the story. Yeah. Um, it opens up all sorts of possibilities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but they say, uh, come on, no teacher is going to fall for that. They'd have to be really thick. In terms of getting permission to get most potent potions from the restricted sections of the library. And we know what that means. There's only one professor that fits the bill. And of course, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about um, Polyjuice and Malfoy and that whole developing storyline. But I think we can all take a deep breath at this point. Because we have reached the end of chapter nine, finally. That was that was one that, as I was reading it, I was like, "Who boy, yeah. there is a lot yeah. going on here. As much as the last chapter felt like sort of exposition without a ton of substance, this one felt like there were bombs being dropped yeah. in terms of hugely significant events and points all along the way. Uh, dear listener, we thank you for joining us on this extended journey through Chapter 9 of <laughs> Chamber of Secrets. We want to remind you that you can always get in touch with us at HPBC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us questions and comments at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. Uh, this has been an incredible and wide-ranging at times provocative and profound conversation again thank you for joining us but until next time mischief, mischief managed, managed.